Gospel of Matthew. We're in chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 21 through 28. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and the guys will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. If you need a Bible, keep it. It's yours. Don't let Richard charge you for it. They're free. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 28 this morning. Starting in verse 21, we read, Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. The title of my message this morning is Faith That Prevails. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, this opportunity that we can gather together knowing, Lord, that it's your desire to speak to each one of our hearts through your word. We know, Lord, you have something to say to all of us this morning, and so we're praying that we would be attentive and open to receive all that you have for us. Lord, we also pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you completely to be truly born again. Lord, would you especially touch their heart today that they might see their need, Lord, to just turn it all over to you and by faith come to you this morning. So we thank you for our time. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, for the umpteenth time, Mrs. Youngston came to her pastor to tell him I'm so scared. Joe, my husband, again, says he's going to kill me if I keep coming to your church. Well, I understand, said the pastor, but you've been telling me this over and over and over again, and nothing has changed. I will continue to pray for you, but you just need to have faith that the Lord will take care of you, to watch over you. Oh, oh yes, she said. Uh, he has kept me safe so far. Only, only what, said the pastor? Well, now he says, if I keep coming to your church, he's going to kill you. Well, now, said the pastor, maybe it's time for you to check out the church on the other side of town. So often it's easy to tell someone else to have faith. Whole different story when we have to have it for ourselves. But the bottom line is we all have faith. It's something, something we apply wherever we go. For instance, if you go on a trip, we have faith that when we get on an airplane, that plane is going to get up off the ground despite the fact that it weighs thousands of pounds. It's going to fly to the destination. It's going to land perfectly safe and you're going to be able to get off that plane. We exercised faith when we got into our cars this morning to come to church believing that the car was going to start. Unless you walked here. Uh, you know, the same thing, you know, you, you go to a surgeon, you go to a doctor, you know, and to get a certain procedure done. You have faith that they've been trained properly. They give you the medication afterwards. You have faith that the prescription you have being filled by the pharmacist, they're going to be the right one. It's going to do the right trick. We exercise faith every single day, but when it comes to faith in the life of a Christian, 
We have, as Jesus says in Mark eleven twenty two, says, have faith in God. Now, people in the world, they balk at that. Faith in God, that's outrageous. Well, what do you mean? Well, you have faith in all these other things that you have a hard time putting your faith in God. Listen, there is no safer one to put your faith in than God. But what is faith? The Bible tells us faith this way, explains, explains for us faith this way in Hebrews 11, verse 1. In the New King James, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Different translation, Weiss translation, is from the original Greek. It goes like this. Now faith is the title deed of things hoped for, the proof of things which are not being seen. It's proof. New Living Translation, I like the way they put it. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. See, the very existence of your faith, despite your circumstances, is a proof of God. Now, a lot of times we treat our faith like it's something very fragile. It's this old antique vase and, oh, here's my faith. Don't breathe out. Don't, don't, don't touch it. You, you break it. Faith isn't fragile. Faith is like a muscle. It gets stronger through use. Muscles actually build up after they get broken down. You know, they you do something, they break down, they start to build up and they get stronger. Otherwise, uh, you know, atrophy sets in. And that's what faith is. It, it's something that you need to apply. It's something that you need to use. It implies movement. Faith is something that is always moving towards its object. It's a living, restless thing. It, it cannot be an operative. So we must use our faith. It's been said, faith sees the invisible, believes the incredible, and accepts the impossible. It's an inward assurance that results in an outward confidence even when we can't see what the future holds. Faith is what assures us that we, uh, what we are hoping for is really going to happen. Well, this brings us now to our text this morning. Verses 21 through 28. And it's a woman of great faith, as Jesus calls her. A woman with persistent faith. A woman with a faith that prevails. And she comes to the Lord in three ways. And that's our three points this morning, if you're taking notes. We'll see that she is, number one, desperate. Number two, determined. And number three, she's going to be delighted. First off, though, we look at verse 21. Look at verse 21. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, this sounds like, well, and Jesus went down the street and around the corner. And, 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 but actually, it's not the way it is. This is the beginning of a very long trip that Jesus was embarking on. He leaves Capernaum and goes north up to Phoenicia, modern-day Lebanon, to the cities of Tyre and Sidon, which is present-day Beirut, Lebanon. Then he's going to loop back around to the Sea of Galilee and into the area of Decapolis, modern-day Jordan, and then back eventually to, to northern to Capernaum where, when he's all done. So he's starting off, and, and as he begins his trip, it is some 85 miles uh, north of Capernaum where he's heading to. Now why is he going 85 miles to this area that predominantly is not Jewish? It, it, it's Gentiles living there. Well, Luke 19.10 tells us, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is going out of his way. He's going to great lengths to this Gentile land in order to reach those who need a special touch. All that to say, before this woman ever comes to Jesus, Jesus comes to her first. And the same thing is true for you and for me. Jesus will come to you no matter what you're going through, what trial you're facing. Jesus is there even before you bring your need to him. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus loves you and wants to enter into your shattered world and give you his peace and his direction. And this brings us to our first point. This woman is coming to Jesus because she's desperate. 
She's desperate. Look at verse 22. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. Now, what do you think of when you hear the word Canaan? You you think of the Canaanites. You think of the land of Canaan. Remember when the Israelites were delivered from Egypt and they started to wander through the wilderness. They spent 40 years from beginning from point A to point B. And that's because the men were in charge and they wouldn't stop and ask for directions. No, that's not true. They wandered through the wilderness because of their disobedience to the Lord. But they finally make it to the brink of the promised land and Canaan, Canaan's land. And, and why was it called that? Well, because the Canaanites lived there. And they were the enemies of Israel. They were an idolatrous, uh, evil people. So right out of the gate, we discovered that this woman was a Canaanite, which means she was an enemy of Israel by her upbringing. She was a Gentile. It means a non-Jew. I mean, she has everything going against her. Maybe this morning you're feeling the same way. You think that everything seems to be going against you. That you could really live for God and things would be better if only I married a godly woman. Or if I could totally be a better wife if my husband wasn't such a Canaanite. You know, I don't know. But you see, you need to look to to the Lord today as this woman did. Somehow she heard about Jesus. She had an understanding of who he was. And she knew that he and he alone could touch her poor daughter. And she was desperate. Why? Well, because we're told that she was severely demon-possessed. How did this happen? We don't know. We're not told. But it had to have something to do with being brought up with with all the idols in the home and, and all the false worship going on. You know, a lot of times parents don't stop and think about the impact of their choices uh, on their children. You've heard the expression, the apple does not fall far from the tree. That's right. The idea is that your children will emulate your behavior. Little eyes are watching. Little ears are listening to what you say. You know, adults will drink alcohol in front of their kids and they wonder why their little ones end up one day with alcohol problems. Or their parents will watch questionable things on television and then they wonder why their kids end up watching worse things on the web. Or you fight with your spouse and you use profanity and then it comes as a shock to you when you hear your kids doing the same thing. Listen, your kids are watching you. I heard the story of a father and his young son who were climbing a mountain and they came to a difficult and dangerous place on the trail. And the dad stopped to consider which way he should go and he heard his little boy say from behind, Choose the right path, Dad. I'm coming right behind you. That's what our children would say to you today, to us today. Make the right choice, Mom. Make the right choice, Dad. I'm following in your footsteps. It's been said it's easier to build a child than it is to repair an adult. Start early in the training of your children. It's not the job of the public school system to teach your children about spiritual things. I think we all know that. Not even the job of your Sunday school teacher. They're just volunteers who, who've been trained who, and who love your kids. But listen, it's a parent's job to bring their children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to teach them right and wrong, stimulating them a thirst and a hunger for the things of the Lord and for the word of the Lord. Well, this mom had trouble. She raised her child in the godless pagan home, but she heard about Jesus and knew that he had the solution. So he she brought her child to Jesus. She, she cries out really for her mercy. She says in verse 22, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. That word for my daughter is literally translated darling little girl. 
I mean, her heart is broken. My, my darling little girl, she loved this girl. It was her, her pride and joy. But she was severely demon-possessed. The American, New American Standard says she was cruelly demon-possessed. The old King James says she was grievously vexed with a devil. This is horrible. This would probably mean that this demon was manifesting itself in some kind of immoral conduct within this child. Horrible situation. The mom's heart is grieved. She's broken. She has nowhere to turn. No doubt she's tried everything. Whatever ceremonies and, and you know her Roman idol gods required, appealing to whatever deities she had been taught existed, whatever she had done in the past, all that was behind her. All that she had left was to look to Jesus. And now she knows that Jesus is the only one that can help her, so she cries out to him. Now, now this wasn't like coming to Jesus for, for a healing. Lord, I, you know, I, I have a, a broken arm, or, you know, I, you know, I, I have a, you know, I can't hear. This was a spiritual battle with the demonic realm that was taking place. This demon had control over her daughter. You know, when I, I read of that, I think of how our children today are being ripped off by the devil as well. We see Satan's influence in this world coming against our children like never before. I mean, they are bombarded through social media, through movies, through TV, through the smart tablets, the smartphones, bombarded all day long with the things of the world and the things that, uh, that are evil. And they're coming in and, and, and they read these things and, 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 and it's coming into their minds and families are falling apart because of the influence of Satan. But to see Jesus is our great hope for the family that is falling apart. He is our peace. And even though this mom is hurting, she comes to Jesus. And maybe you can identify with this poor anxious mother. Perhaps you're dealing with a child that's out of control. Maybe you're at wit's end over some situation in your life and you need help. Perhaps you've exhausted every means possible and, and you don't know where to turn for help. Maybe the need is salvation. Or maybe you need restoration or forgiveness. Whatever the need may be in your life today, you should take a lesson from this woman. Get that need to Jesus. Regardless of what you're facing today, the answer is found in Him. He can move mountains. He can meet your need. He can save your soul. He can forgive your sins. He can touch your loved ones. You name it, He can do it. But you've got to get it to Him. Don't be afraid to call out to Him. Bring it to Jesus. He cares and He can help and He can move in your life. As the old hymn says, What a friend we have in Jesus. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Here she says to Jesus, have mercy on me, O Lord. You know, when your, your child is, is sick, I mean, it hurts you. I mean, you do anything. Oh, Lord, give me that fever. Give me that, what they're going through. Just let me have it. We'd gra- gladly transfer their suffering on ourselves. When you're exhausted, all your resources, and you watch your child suffering, you do almost anything to relieve them of this pain. So in desperation, she comes to Jesus. And this brings us to point number two. She's determined. Look at verse 23. She comes to Jesus asking for mercy. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And then we read, But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged her, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Have you ever had that happen to you? You go into a store and you're looking for someone for some, some help and they ignore you. Maybe you're in a restaurant and they bring your food, but you don't have your, your, your fork and you're looking around and, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, and they just keep walking right past you and you, you're trying to get their attention and they act as if you're not there. I think we've all experienced that at times in our lives when it appears as though God isn't hearing us because there's no response. Nothing's happening. 
you've been praying and you've been seeking God and, 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 and things aren't getting better. In fact, it seems like things are getting worse. Why won't God hear me? Why won't God answer me? And when we have that silence, it's hard to handle. But let me say this. He is listening. And why he, has He not answered you as quickly as you would have hoped for? Well, it could be for a number of reasons. Number one, let me give you an example. It could be because there's a spiritual battle raging that we know nothing about. Because there is a supernatural realm that functions right alongside the natural realm. And I believe there's a thin wall that divides us. And then there's this supernatural world that when we pray, things are happening that we often don't see or we hear little about. Classic example of this is, is, is in the book of Daniel chapter 10. We find that the prophet has been praying and seeking the Lord. And an angel arrives and tells Daniel what's been going on behind the scenes. This angel basically says, hey, Daniel, I know you're praying and, and, and asking the Lord for help. Well, 21 days ago, the prayer was heard and, and, and in heaven when you prayed and the answer was, was sent out. You know, I was dispatched with the answer to you, but I was stopped by this high-ranking demon or this fallen angel that overpowered me. So Michael was then dispatched, the, the great archangel, to deliver me from this dilemma that I was free then to bring you the answer. This is for real, folks. This is in God's Word. It really happened. There's this battle taking place trying to get an answer to our prayers. So maybe you're wondering what's going on, why your prayers aren't being answered, why the silence. Maybe there's a spiritual battle going on. Just remember this, and I've said this many times, God's delays are not necessarily His denials. Just because it hasn't come as quickly as you hoped for doesn't mean it's not going to come at all, so keep praying. Number two, why the silence? Listen to this. Your prayer may not be answered. There might be silence in your life because there's unconfessed sin in your life. Nothing will bring a prayer life to a halt faster than unconfessed sin. Listen to Psalm sixty-six, eighteen. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Let me read it to you in the New Living Translation. If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened the problem I think that we have today is that we don't call sin, sin anymore. We want to call it something else. Well, I have this weakness or I have this mistake or my shortcoming. Or I went to the doctor and he called it my sickness and I need this drug for it. That's a popular one. Everything is a sickness. Why don't we call it what it is? A sin. A sin by not believing what God's word said and applying his word to your situation. There's a whole lot of anxiety and worry in our world today, and yet God, God's Word tells us not to worry. God's Word tells us not to be anxious, and instead of believing God's Word and applying it to our lives, we go to the doctor and they give us medication for anxiety and worry. Why don't we just admit to God and repent from it and turn from it and turn to Him, and as you do, God will give you the strength and the ability to live out what He calls us to do. So your prayers may not be answered. There might be silence in your life because there's unconfessed sin in your life. This could also be expressed as an idol in your life. When you're putting something in your life in place of the prominence over God himself. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 14, verse 3. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They've embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? In other words, is there something or someone that is more important to you right now than God himself? You may say, well, I don't, I don't bow down to some false image. I don't worship idols. But have you seen that new, brand new Dodge Challenger Hellcat? Man, that thing can scream. That, man, 
let's see, a large shiny object with the name hell in it, and it's a challenger. I don't know, you know. Okay, I'm just kidding a little bit, okay. I don't think it's idolatry to own a nice, fast sports car. I, as long as it doesn't own you, I, I wouldn't mind owning one. But the point is this, okay, anyone or anything that has more of your attention than the Lord or becomes more important to you than God that can potentially become an idol to you and it could stop your prayers from being answered. Any idea, object, philosophy, habit, occupation, sport that has your primary concern and loyalty or to any degree decreases your trust and loyalty to God, that can potentially become an idol. But here really is the reason why this woman's prayer was not answered immediately. Jesus wanted to draw out her faith and he wanted her to keep praying. He didn't put up barriers to keep her away, but to draw her closer. He put up barriers that only genuine, persistent faith could hurdle. And he knew she would rise to the occasion. He knew that she was determined. And I also believe that Jesus was doing this to provide an example to his disciples. Remember early on in the chapter, Peter saw Jesus walking on the water. And he says, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come. And Jesus says, come on out, Pete, the water's fine. And and Peter, you know, actually stepped out of the boat. He actually started walking on water. Suddenly got his eyes off of the Lord. The water's splashing around him and he begins to sink. And and he cries out to the Lord, Lord, save me. And the Lord had to pull him up out of the water. And then the Lord says to Peter, oh, Peter, ye of little faith. See, I believe Jesus is showing the difference here between little faith and a woman of great faith. It's been said, a little faith will bring your soul to heaven. A great faith will bring heaven to your soul. You can almost picture uh, Jesus looking at Peter. As if to say, Peter, pay attention to what's going on here. You're going to see what great faith looks like. Just watch what this woman does. You watch the way she's not going to be discouraged. How she's not going to be deterred. How she's going to keep her focus on me. Again, in Jesus' silence, he's drawing her out. He wasn't being flippant. He knew she would rise to the occasion. Now, the disciples, they misinterpreted all of that, what he was doing. In verse 23, we read it. They said, send her away, for she cries out after us. In other words, she's bugging us. Man, disciples are bugged. I mean, Peter, he was tired of it. James and John, uh, get get rid of this woman. Uh, They're keeping her from Jesus. I mean, what great examples of long-suffering and, and, you know, patience. But again, Jesus is teaching all of them. And I think sometimes we as Christians, instead of helping someone come to Jesus, we too can be an obstacle to those that need to come to Jesus. Maybe we preach at people instead of just talking to them. Maybe telling non-Christians how they're not to act like non-Christians. That never really helps. But here the disciples are just missing the point completely. And maybe she was creating a scene. And maybe she was creating a little bit of a commotion. But this woman, again, was about to show great faith in what it looked like. And Jesus knew that, and he's drawing it out. And so she asked for mercy. But then the Lord says to her, look at verse 24. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What Jesus is saying here is that I've been sent to the lost sheep of Israel, meaning while Jesus walked this earth, his focus was on the Jewish people. God did choose Israel to be his witness nation to the world. And he gave her distinct privileges and Christ's ministry was first to Israel. But it was through Israel that salvation was to come to the whole world. Paul would write this in Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, 
For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, after hearing this from Jesus, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. If I were this woman, I think I would probably kind of just, okay, and just kind of crept away in despair, just quietly. I mean, after all, she's had nothing going for her. Her race was against her. She was a Canaanite, an enemy of the Israelites. Her sex was against her. She was a woman in a time where women were held in low esteem. Even the disciples were against her as they begged Jesus to send her away. And now it seems as though Jesus is against her. I was not sent except for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But you have to admire this lady. She didn't give up. She was determined. Verse 25. Then she came and worshipped him saying, Lord, help me. I love this. Instead of just taking no for an answer, she does the only thing she knows how to do, and that is to worship the Lord and just pray simply, Lord, help. I need your help. You know, sometimes when we go through tough times, we hear how someone else prays, and they pray so eloquently, and they, 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 they use these long words, you know, and maybe they pray in King James English, oh, that's the key to pray, and, and that's how, that's how their, their prayer gets answered. Father, I thank thee thou that thou beholdest the cries of all thy creation, now thy magnificence and benevolence and thy mercy upon thine situation. I'm going to pray like that, Lord, and nothing happens. Are we here how someone shares how, you know, I just lifted my hand to the Lord and I prayed and, and He reached down and, and He healed and He worked in my life. And I thought, was your right hand or was it your left hand? Now, did it go all the way up? Or, and, and, and you think, oh, what was the formula? At this point, she had no formula. No special way to ask Jesus for help other than just to worship Him and say, Lord, help me. Listen, let me say this. Worship works where formulas fail. Worship works where formulas fail. That word worship there is proskunio in the Greek. It means to turn and kiss. It's just spontaneous. Guys, when you kiss your wife, hopefully you don't follow a 10-step program to better kissing. I mean, it needs to be spontaneous and expressive and simple and sincere. It's not, okay, I'm going to stop right now and I'm going to give you a kiss on the cheek, so get ready for it. Here's how I'm going to... No! It's just this spontaneous expression, simple and sincere. The same is true of worship. It's not a procedure we follow. It's creative, it's spontaneous, simple, it's sincere. It's showing God worth. It's worshiping God, showing Him how much He means to you, telling Him how much you love Him. It's recognizing who He is and singing praise, praises to His name. The last thing we want to be thinking is, oh, I wonder what songs we're going to be entertained with this morning. I can't worship. There's no words on that screen. There's no screen today. How are we going to worship? No, worship is opening our hearts to the Lord and lifting our praises to Him and expressing that worship by lifting our hands and surrendering to the Lord. There's a lot of good worship songs out there. But we need to be careful, especially nowadays, that we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. That the words we sing must match the word that we believe in. You can have a great worship song with four verses that are wonderful and then that one verse is total heresy. You can't worship the Lord with that verse. You're speaking not the truth. We worship in spirit and in truth. But then there's a danger going in the other direction where you're so hyper-analyzing a song that you can't worship in spirit and you have no joy in your worship. Well, I don't know if I agree with that one word of the song. It, it's not that it's unbiblical, but, but this verse, it, it just says, I don't really like that. I don't like the studio that they recorded that in. And, and I just can't worship in that song. And I don't know about this song either, because I don't know about that song. And, and before you, you're not worshiping the Lord. Listen, is a song bringing praise and honor to the Lord. 
Does it draw you into the place of worship as you sing of all the things that God is and has done? Is it biblically honoring the Lord? Then sing out worship to the Lord. Let your praises be known to Him. You know, when you're first born again, the natural response is worship. I mean, absolutely just worship. Praise the Lord. You know, we're so thankful that our sins have been forgiven, that our guilt has been taken away, that we're going to heaven. All we want to do is praise the Lord. But then there needs to be that progression in our lives where we move from just worshiping the Lord to where our worship becomes our life. Where we, we, who we are at church now becomes who we are outside of the church. Where my passion is to walk with God moment by moment and to know Him more and more each day. Where my whole lifestyle is that of worship and it's seen in the way that I live my life. To walk with God always, not just when I get in difficult situations or circumstances. Not all thanks, you know, God for, for this time, see, next crisis. See, we, we worship more than just for our salvation. It, it, we worship continually as we continue to grow in our walk with the Lord, as we live to, to please God and not ourselves. That's a heart of faith. You see, here was this woman in desperation. She came and worshiped him, pleading, Lord, help me. Again, do you have a sick child or need of help? It's you who feels the pain. And it's the right place to go is to Jesus. The only place to go when we face trials. So she says, Lord, help me. Listen to his response, verse 26. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. You read that go, whoa. That's kind of cruel. I mean, she's calling this woman a dog? Now to understand this, we need to understand the culture at that time. Today in third world countries, it's common to see mangy scavenger dogs that are just gross and unclean. So generally, when a Jew referred to a Gentile as a dog, it was meant in a derogatory way, but that wasn't Jesus' way. If you notice what Jesus says here, Jesus says, take the children's bed and throw it to the little dogs. In our modern language, it would be like saying, it's not good to take the kids' bread and give it to the little puppies. Jesus is referring to a domesticated household puppy, a family pet. He's not insulting her. He's giving her something to grab onto. He's giving her the opportunity to put her faith into action. You know, when we have everything going against us and it seems as though we've tried everything, oftentimes God will just have us wait just a little bit longer before stepping in just to really draw out our faith. And that's what the Lord is doing with this woman. He is giving this poor woman the opportunity to put her faith into action by her response. And we see a response, you'll see it in a minute, is, is brilliant. It's a, a brilliant display of amazing faith, so much so that it, it's literally like a, a diamond on this black velvet. You go, man, this, this is beautiful. Look at verse 27. And she said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. I love that. Isn't that true, though? Even where some people let their dogs eat from the table. You know, they have these gourmet stores now for, for dogs. You can buy food that looks actually very appealing to human being. I mean, you're, you're looking at this going, I can eat this. They're supposed to give it to your dog. You know, people, they dress up their dogs, you know, and, and, and all that. And, and we had a lady, uh, she hasn't been coming here for a while. She'd bring her dog in in a stroller, and, you know, and all that. And You know, when it comes to a dog at my table, being an ex-postal worker, there's no room at my table for a dog, okay? I, I don't care how you dress it, what he looks like. When my daughter brings her dog Bentley over our house, you know, if you get out of your chair for a moment and walk away, that dog jumps right up on that chair. As if to say, I belong here. Where's my plate? I'm eating here. And I just look at him. Bentley, he's down. He's around the corner. He knows better. 
But here's this woman responding to Jesus, and, and she's playing along. She's saying, I know what you're doing, Jesus. I'm rising to the occasion. I'm not backing down. Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs from which fall from their master's table. Oh, Jesus turns to her and makes this amazing statement in verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. What? I mean, he went from effectively blowing her off to giving her carte blanche. All right, I'll give you whatever you want. I mean, I can picture the disciples going, what? Uh, you never offered us that. I mean, come on. You know what? From ignoring her to giving her anything she wanted? Let me ask you this. What would you do if God came to you today and said, I will give you whatever you want? Just a blank check, you write in the amount. What would you ask for? Don't say it out loud. <laughs> Some would say, well, I just I want great wealth, or I want to have the most money I've ever, ever had, or I want to be famous, or I want everyone to know my name, or, you know, if I could just have a full head of hair, that would be all I'd ask for. What would you ask for, really? Solomon was given that opportunity when he was ascending to the throne and, and uh, after his father's death, and God came to Solomon and said, I will give you whatever you want. And Solomon said, well, Lord, I need wisdom. I need wisdom to lead your people. God said, in effect, Solomon, because you did not pray for wealth or length of days, I'm going to give you those things as well as I'm going to give you the wisdom you requested. Honestly, I think if God came to you and said, I will give you whatever you want, the best response would be, Lord, why don't you decide for me? That's what I would respond. Why don't you choose? Because frankly, I don't know what I need half the time. I don't even know what I want half the time, Lord. And you just, just you give me what you want. But I love that this woman pressed on. She would not be discouraged. When, when the door was shut in her face, she, she knocked at it. She loved her child. She would not take no for an answer. But she was wise enough just to put it into the Lord's hand. And, 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 and she would not have held out, I don't think, to the end and obtained the blessing she desired for her daughter if it had not been for her faith. And that brings us to our final point, point number three. She was delighted. Look again at verse 28. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Could you imagine her coming home and just seeing completely turn around with her daughter? I mean, she probably was just thrilled. Her daughter was healed. Do you know that only two people that Jesus commended for their faith were both Gentiles? Both Gentiles. The Roman centurion in Matthew 8, 5 and 10, and this woman in our passage. Both Gentiles. Both cases, Jesus healed the servant and the little girl at a dis- distance. He didn't even touch them. I mean, this brilliant display of faith in the Lord as she just asked the bread of, of life to toss her a crumb, and Jesus responded by healing her daughter. Why? Well, Jesus put it this way in Matthew 7, 9 through 11. He said this, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? Ask in faith, believing that the Lord desires to give that which is good in your life. I mean, if you have a kid and they ask you, Hey, Mom, can I have a fish? You're not going to say, Oh, no, but how about this cobra? You know, and give it to them. If they're hungry and they ask for some bread, you're not going to say, Okay, here's a peanut butter and rock sandwich. Have a bite of that. No, you're going to give them that which is good for them. In the same way, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? It's interesting to me that Jesus commends her for her great faith. Listen, faith has to be placed in the right place for it to be great faith. 
hear people say, well, you know, I know what I'm going through is tough, but I have faith that it's really going to work out. Really? What do we have faith in? Well, faith in gender. Well, I have faith in myself. Not a good place. It's not, not going to help you. You have to put your faith in something valid, something true, someone true. You can't put your faith in yourself. This woman had faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only legitimate object of faith. There's no salvation in any other. And Jesus wants to see our faith and see it grow. And that's why Jesus said over again in Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. That's what this woman did. In fact, the words ask, seek, and knock are in the present tense and have the imperative mood, meaning that basically Jesus is commanding us that we ask and keep asking, that we knock and keep knocking, and seek and keep seeking, to be persistent in our prayer life. He wants to see your faith. He wants to stretch you and build you and to make you strong in these last days to truly live for Him. I wonder how many of our prayers fall just short of God's response because we don't see an immediate result and we just give up. Oh, God must be saying no because it didn't happen. I'd already prayed five minutes ago and it hasn't happened yet. Listen, if something is heavy on your heart, you're not going to stop. Many of you guys know this if you, if you know me for any amount of time. For seven years, I prayed for my mom's salvation. Seven years. As soon as I got saved, I started praying for her salvation. Lord, just let me know. Before you take her, she wasn't in good health. Lord, before you take her, I just need to know that she knows you. And the Lord gave me that confirmation six months before she went home to be with them. I didn't, seven years, I didn't stop it. Why? Because it was heavy on my heart. I, I wanted to know. This woman, the same way, was pursuing Jesus over something that was heavy on her heart. She kept knocking, kept asking. And as a result, her daughter was healed from that very hour. So what do, we learn, what do we learn from this story? Number one, faith is often found in unlikely places. I mean, you would have thought that you would have seen the faith in, in Peter and James and John. Oh, look at their faith. But no, it came from a, a pagan woman. A woman that had her nationality against her. Uh, a woman living in a male-dominated world. Satan was against her. The disciples were against her. And it even looked like Jesus was against her. But even with all that, she pressed on. She wouldn't leave. And I realize that some people in this very room are looking at situations and problems that are every bit as hard and as painful as what this woman faced. And I know that many of you have prayed and sought God about your situations and things remain the same. And you may even start believing the lies that are out there. It's no use. God doesn't care. Go away. Don't bother him with this anymore. It's never going to change. Don't believe it. It's a lie. I know that some folks are discouraged and defeated and you're wondering if there's any use or any help for you. Listen, there is hope today. Today might be the day when the Master responds to your cries. Today might be the day when you see that mountain moved in your life. Today might be the day when you call to Him and call on Him to be saved. Today might be the day when God speaks in your soul and says, it's going to be all right, I've taken care of it. Today might be the day when His peace replaces your pain and you get that help that you need. But bring that to Him today. Bring it with all the faith in your heart that He will hear you and He will help you and He will fix it. Bring it to Him and place it in His hands. And watch Him take it and make it what it ought to be. You may say, well, wait, wait a minute, Pastor. You don't know how big my problem is. No, I don't. But He does. And I know what happens when you diligently seek the Lord like this poor woman did. He is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. Hebrews eleven six says this, But without faith it is impossible to please Him for you who comes to God must believe that He is and that He is a reward of those who diligently seek Him. 
Proverbs 8, 17. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently will find me. Now, before we close, we can talk about faith and trusting God to move and applying our faith. We talk all about things, but, but we must also look at the other end of the coin. We need to talk about the other side of faith, and that is grace. Sometimes God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. We need to understand that. The reality is God doesn't always give us what we want. God doesn't always answer our prayers the way we would like. And when he does it, we still need to trust him just the same. It's like the, the worship song we sing by Lauren Daigle. The lyrics go, when you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. Truth is, you know what tomorrow brings. There's not a day ahead you have not seen. So that all things be my life and breath. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. I like that. I want what you want, Lord, and nothing less. That should be our prayer. Finally, one last point before we close, and that is faith mixed with humility is what the Lord calls great faith. Some people have one, but not the other. Some people have faith, so they name it and claim it and blab it and grab it and tell the Lord what he needs to do. And you start shouting at the Lord. Where's the humility in that? Where's the place of lowliness in your heart? There's no humility there. While others have the humility, they know they're dirtbags, and so they're always putting themselves down to living defeated lives. Where's the faith there? Where's your confident persistence before the Lord? We must have faith mixed with humility, then it's great faith. Remember what uh, James says in James 4, 6, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So come to God full of faith and lowly humility. Be persistent and passionate, simple yet specific, and you'll watch God move and he'll do some awesome things on your behalf. A woman with great faith after one meeting with Jesus, her life would be changed forever. She was delighted. Listen, she can do the same thing for your life if you come to him in faith. Why is that? Well, listen to what Mark 7.37 tells us, speaking of Jesus. He does all things well. See, if you don't know Jesus this morning, if you've never given your heart to him, I want you to know that if you come to Jesus today, you'll find that he does all things well. He can save your soul from sin and hell. He can change your life. He can give you eternal life. He does all things well. Come to Jesus and see for yourself. Whatever spiritual condition you're in, whether you're saved or lost, Jesus can help you today. He can deliver you from addiction, from from lust. He does all things well. He can forgive your sins, help you live live a godly life. He does all things well. He can lift a burden in your heart. He does all things well. All is is a mighty big word and it covers a lot of territory. He does all things well. So come to him. Let him take care of it. And he'll do all things well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone here that has not surrendered their hearts and life to you, Lord, that they would come to you in faith and believing, Lord, that you will forgive them of their sin and give them a brand new start, a brand new life. And Lord, I pray that they would not leave here without making that commitment to you today. And Lord, for us as believers, maybe there's something going on in our life and that we've been praying about, Lord, and we haven't seen an answer. Maybe today is the day, Lord, that you move that mountain. Maybe today is the day that you take that pain away. Lord, we're going to ask again. We're going to keep knocking and keep asking and keep seeking, Lord, and praying. 
So Lord, whatever it may be, maybe if there's a need for a marriage to be healed, maybe there's been some turmoil in your marriage, bring it to the Lord and say, Lord, help me in my marriage. And God will do that work by faith, believe. Maybe it's a physical healing that you need and you've been needing it for a while and it doesn't seem to, to get the answer. It hasn't been coming. Maybe today is a day that God will give you that healing. Lord, we pray for that. Lord, that you would touch and that you would heal. Maybe it's an emotional hurt, Lord, that's been going on and it's been carried a burden on their, their hearts. Lord, whatever it is, we want to give it to you, Lord. And say, Lord, you do with it. Lord, we want to worship you. And just say, Lord, help me. Help us. Lord, we know that you do all things well. So whatever your answer is, we're going to trust you. We're going to serve you. And we're going to believe you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And again, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to put their faith and trust in you, we pray, Lord, that they would not leave here without making that commitment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.